Welcome to Blue Collar Love, the Starflyer 59 Retrospective. My name is Samuel, and I am shedding the mortal coil. And my name is Aaron, and Sam and I are so far away from each other. That we are. That we are. Someday, Aaron, we will meet, and we'll play a card game. And we will play card games and talk about how bored we are with life. And We'll drive around. You will drive around and we'll talk about how we are leasing Cherokee, Jeep Cherokees, and... We'll talk about how our bosses are so mean. And about how we, we're just working for our kids because they need to eat. Yeah. <laughs> Pesky oh, little man. things. They love to eat. It's so weird. <laughs> I know. Isn't it weird? Like... <laughs> so, yeah. So today, what are we doing today, Sam? I am. So today's an interesting one. We get a review, um, easy come, easy go. Starfire 59, so far as I can tell, only um, Greatest Hits album. Or I don't even know if it's considered Greatest Hits since it's not. they never had a hit, per se. But it's like and a it's, sample platter, it's, it's It's a compilation, and it's, it's the laziest compilation. Tooth and Nail, or whoever made the decision, just took the first three songs from every record and put them on the first disc. And then all the songs that hadn't been released at the time and some demos, except for never had a name. For some reason, that's not up here um, from the fashion focus vinyl. But so, for another time, I'm going to hit this at the end. I personally think outside of as far as compilation albums go, this one's pretty good, I think. Okay. Um, so 2000 is when this was released. And in 2000, it felt like everyone was releasing compilation albums. Everyone, I guess, was like, you know, New Millennium, compilation album. Yeah. So it was a very popular thing around this era. And as far as I, I agree, the first three tracks off of each album's a bit lazy. But especially in the era of CDs, before you can get your hands just on any old digital copy, pitting all the B-sides, rarities, in a live concert from the current era of Starflyer, I think is a... you you need this like this is worth owning and then also all the linear notes and stuff in there it's definitely bro and i'm not saying that yeah you know it's lazy it which it is um it does a good representation of starflyer um when you take if you take the first three songs from each album but i just i mean i noticed that right away when i first got this when it first came out i was like and they did the same thing with the art and craft of popular music with joy electric probably 2000 it came out the same time I, i don't know i think probably and the same thing, the first three songs from every Joy Electric album, the first is, and then outtakes and B-sides. Well, as we've already discussed, um, the first three tracks aren't going to be that interesting to talk about because we've already talked about them. That's right. So the, the first di- the first disc, out of here. Now we're going to mention it. <laughs> it exists. Yeah, it does. Uh, and it's amazing because it has like three songs from every Starfire album up there up to this point. So it's great. um and we're not going to hit all the songs in the second disc for the sake of we've already talked about some of them such as she was my sweetheart one of my personal favorite b-sides when no one calls one of my favorite b-sides from Vancouver, and samson from the fell in love with 22 as well because we've already talked about them so if you want to hear those reviews go to the respective gold She's the queen and fell in love at 22 episodes, and you can get your fill there. Indeed. 
So what we are going to talk about is all the other B-sides, and I personally like a great concert, as I mentioned earlier, um, from this era of the band. And just since we're in the, the, in the before times, before Corona, when we could go to shows, I'm craving that. And so, like, re-listening to these live tracks was like, oh, God, just made me miss concerts even more. <laughs> I know, right? God, oh. help so us, I, Lord. I, I, I miss concerts. So let's go ahead and break these down Gerber style. We're going to go through each one. And let's also let this be a moment where we can kind of reflect on the band as a whole up to this point. I feel mm-hmm. like um, they, they're they six years into their career, which for most artists, that's the full length of their career. So six years in, a compilation album, this is a good point to stop and reflect where they are. Also, I feel like after this point, the band kind of entered their third phase. Because um, like phase one is... Um, silver you. gold americana phase the reverb, two the reverb phase yeah um phase two is more fashion focused and everybody makes mistakes and leave here a stranger sort of fits into there but i feel like those two albums stand pretty well at, at on themselves i agree especially because that's when you know you have the the classic lineup of wayne everett um eric like I, Eric Compazzo, I can't pronounce his last name wrong. Compazzo, no, or... No, I'm he was sorry. on Americana. On yeah, Fashion exactly. Focus and Everybody Makes Mistakes. Oh, okay, that one. I just it, thought, okay. it, was, um, it was Blue Velvet Guy. I can't think of his name now. Jeff Cloud. Wow. And Gene Eugene. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. let's go ahead and let's, let's lay it all down, man. Let's talk about all right. it all. All right, Sam. Um, I guess I'll start us off with I Was 17. Um, this was originally um, intended for the Americana album. Um, where would I place this album on the Americana album? Nowhere. So that's why it's not here, and I'm glad it wasn't an album, because that would have stuck out like a sore thumb. Um, I'm not going to rank my song, the songs in this album, like my favorite, because it's compilations, you know, so there's no need to do that. But this is a three-star song. Um, I love the surf acoustic guitars. It's a very pleasant beginning to his compilation. Interesting beginning. I mean, it kind of sets off, hey, this is a collection of songs, not really a theme, but you're going to like these songs. I love the keyboard um, action at 40, the 42nd mark. It's like a, like a little dance thing. Um, it's a heartbreak song, so Sam's going to love it. Who doesn't love heartbreak songs? The song feels like a breakup on an island paradise that was um fine because it was hawaii because you know you're sad uh, it's kind of feels sad but it's like okay my heart got broke but i'm in amazing paradise it's not so bad um and also i was 17 and i think the music really translates although it's like a breakup song it's like i'm 17 so it's not it's not the end of the world you know i'm not it's not romeo and juliet so it's a nice start to the album i mean and like i said three stars there's nothing to be over the moon about but definitely not skippable i listen to it every time it comes on and that's all i gotta say about i was 17 take it sammy fair enough um it's funny you mentioned romeo and juliet because i consider that the epitome um of soap opera e um teen angst um if you actually I, i've listened to an audio version of the book this year and it's i'm Pretty convinced Shakespeare is just making fun of lovey-dovey teenagers. 
and it's um, still holds true. This song, and I think um, you're right because Shakespeare was known. A lot of his plays were making fun. It was satirical, so he was making fun of. So you might you're not too far off on that. Although I hate Shakespeare, but go ahead. <laughs> so this song itself, um, I feel like it's less a breakup song and more just regretting about mistakes I made when I was young. Everyone goes through that. Granted, you know the regret here is soap opera level. I feel like I'm watching a CW. Um, <laughs> television, you know, Dawson's Creek or something. But I can relate, you know, everyone has those moments when they just stop and they just like think back on something in their youth and they're like, oh, I regret that. Um, you're like you said, Americana outtake, though honestly, this sounds far more like fashion focused to me. Um, I'm pretty convinced this was like he just didn't consider it rocky enough for Americana. And it also kind of leaned towards what he was going to do later, poor fashion focus. I like the little xylophone, it sounds like in there. Um, no doubt provided by Gene Eugene. So overall, a yeah. solid track to get us kicked off. But like you said, nothing to get overly excited about. And I'm not going right, to rate like, this album either. It's just it's a collection of songs. So it's not really worth rating as a whole. And you're right about the Gene Eugene because it's just him and Jason. Jason does a good turn of vocals and Gene does vibes, whatever that is. But you're right. I mentioned keyboard earlier. You're right. At the 42nd mark, that's probably a xylophone. And when I say breakup song, I meant like from the person who did the breaking up. Like, you know, because that's still hard too. Sometimes when you have to break up with somebody, unless you're a psychopath, no one enjoys breaking up with somebody. And it's, it's, so it's from the, it still sucks. So that's what I meant by breakup song. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, let's go ahead and just keep on moving on. Um, and now we're going to fast forward from Americana to Everybody Makes Mistakes for All Done Wrong. Now, I was reading Lyric Genius for this review, and it said this All Done Wrong is a New Order <laughs> tribute. <laughs> what are you laughing at? Just, just go. Just continue. Okay. So it calls this a New Order tribute, but honestly, everybody makes mistakes. Um, that whole entire album is a New Wave tribute anyways, so I don't find this any particularly more New Wavey than any of the other tracks on there. Um, the lyrics seem to be making fun, though, and I find this an interesting thought. The lyrics seem to be making fun of like materialistic attitude, popular in the 80s. Um, with friends like turning on someone else, et cetera, et cetera, and so forth. And um, that new wave style obviously pulls you back to the 80s when, you know, that kind of materialistic attitude is super popular. So I don't know if they did that correlation on purpose or not, but that's what it reminds me of. That's all you have to say about this song? That's all I have to say. It's, Are it's you an okay kidding song. Me, Sam? Okay, first of all, I'll adjust while I was laughing. The lyrics, no tassels, we don't care what you've done. Your hairs are all wrong in the clothes that you've worn. I've possibly the most cryptic verse on this compilation. Um, I'm thinking like with you, like the tassels, I'm thinking maybe like the new wave movement, maybe the clothing and like the scene, what the people were wearing, maybe that's a reference to that. And so you said new way, new order tribute. I was like, well, more like making fun of that. Then that's why I was laughing. Um, but with that said, um, 
this was my favorite song, Starfire 59 song, until this recliner. So you just saying that this is just like, oh, it's an all right song, just blows my mind. I would literally listen to this song for hours on repeat, nonstop. This is, I think I mentioned on the um, Everybody Makes Mistakes albums, um, album review, how like no new kind of stories, like a trance song when it comes on, like I just get into this mind space where I'm not really listening to the music. It's like, I'm just really experiencing it. And it's very rare with songs. And um, this All Done Wrong is another one of those songs. This is a five-star song. Nothing on this album is even close. Like, um, yeah. And um, this was originally intended for everybody makes for six, like you said. And I think that, you know, if um, this was on um, right before going places on, um, I mean, after going places, and then, you know, you have going places, this song and then the party, like you have like this shot of B2 like punch before the the chilled out ending. I think that would have I mean, it's hard to make the everybody makes the sticks even more. It's perfect. But I will, you know, and I'm going I'm to do that track list after this and see how it works. Anyway, the opening drums by Wayne Everett, my man, um, they pull me in. And then when the full band comes in, I remember the first time you that. Know, then the full band comes in my mind is blown i was just like what you know something special is going on um jason plays keyboards on this and um this is just a i don't know it, it just feels like a, a a song a california chill slash longing song that's the vibe i get it permeates everybody makes mistakes and here and um, I just get this, it's like, you know, that chill feel like, you know, I'm all cool, but you know, there's still some pain. I'm like missing something, missing a friend, a card game I should be at right now, whatever. And then the line, my friends say it's all done wrong. My, the plans you make are never going to shape the most optimistic, positive lyric I've ever heard. I mean, just, it just makes me want to take on life. Um, <laughs> gosh, what a brutal lyric. But sometimes it's true. The outro is so beautiful with the guitar and the keyboard swells. I uh, love those. Um, yeah, I could listen to this song forever. Jason's vocals are perfect here. And Wayne's drums are like the backbone to the song. I can't, uh, I could go on forever. Absolutely love this song. I'll stop now. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, maybe I'll give it a second chance once I listen to it some more. But um, I need to pick up the physical version of this album because the only place I can find it right now is on YouTube, which makes it a bit inconvenient to listen to. Really? There's no there's no physical copies of this available? No, like there's I'm sure there is. I haven't looked to buy one yet. I mean, I haven't. There's none on Spotify or Apple Music, though. Gotcha. Okay. So what we have next is Elijah the Prophet. Um, I guess I'll take it. Um, Go for it. This is on the the Fashion Focus vinyl um, version. And I also don't believe this song could affect anywhere on the Fashion Focus either. So Jason, he has a really, like I said before, he knows how to track list an album. In the digital age, that's a forgotten art, but God, he knows how to track an album. And so I'm glad this is a a bonus um, on the seven inch. Um, seven inch bonus this is a three star um, song the intro to this is wicked the soaring guitars um, the pulsating rhythm section sets the song up lovely i love the slow verse fast piazzimo course 
Um, this has some gold vibes and goodbyes are sad vibes to it as well. I guess the the lyrics speak about longing for someone and missing someone. Um, I guess Elijah, Elijah the prophet, he he did some wandering, so um, maybe Jason was referencing that because it talks about wanting to be home and stuff like that. And I'm sure as a wandering prophet, you would feel that way. Um, at the minute two fourteen to two thirty seven, I love that breakdown that leads into the 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 brief quiet interlude, and then it punches and kicks back up again. Um, it's a decent song. I mean, I, I I love it every time it comes on. That's all I got to say about that. Forrest Gump. What about you, Sam? Well, um, and my research suggests that this is actually an Americana outro, which it sounds like it fits much better on Americana, but he included it on the Fashion Focus vinyl as like a B-side. Okay, didn't know that. That's cool. Which it has that, you know, 80s false metal shoegaze sound that a lot of Americana carries. Um, and, you know, Americana is probably contains some of his more over biblical references. And um, I find it interesting that he references Elijah the Prophet in the title track of all things. Because this is something I you don't think about a lot is, you know, the prophets and the heroes, especially in the Bible, were people as well as, you know, these legendary figures. And I believe the part of the story it's specifically referencing is um, Elijah essentially ticked off the uh, royalty of the day and um, the queen, Jezebel, um, shit, threatens his life and he has to run out and flee for his life. And he's stuck out in the wilderness for a, a few months, I believe, maybe even years. I can't remember exactly. And he's would no doubt during this period be craving home, wanting to be back home among friends, family, um, familiarity. And what Jason does is draw parallels between that longing and, you know, he's out on tour and he wants to be back home among friends, family, familiarity, et cetera, et cetera. And it's just a is really – is he calling Julie Jezebel? I, I don't think so. That's, that's a Ooh. bit harsh. I know. I know. The, the working aspect is probably the Jezebel that he has to work because it's his kids. They have to eat. Yeah. So I find that a really interesting take on Elijah the Prophet because most people, if they're going to title a song Elijah the Prophet or talk about him, they're going to talk about fire on Mount Carmel, or they're going to talk about unlimited, you know, um, flower. They're not going to talk about this aspect. So it's a really cool take. I appreciate it. So and it's around, the blue... I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, you're fine. Go ahead. So he focused on the blue collar as aspect of being a prophet, which is what Jason does well. And so, yeah, like you mentioned earlier, being a prophet, you're still flesh and blood. And so, yeah, you're calling down fire, you're walking on water, bringing people from the dead, whatever you're doing. But at the end of the day, you still need love. You might have loved ones you miss. You Maybe some card games um, you want to play with them, you know. Um, and so, yeah, and that's a, and that, again, that's, I think that's why Jason's lyric, I mean, Jason's music uh, has lasted and spanned so long and why it stays relevant because. He's focusing on the things that affect us all. And I think if Christianity did that, instead of focusing on the prosperity and the blessings or um, the miracles of Jesus and just focused on the blue collar nature of Christianity about building relationships 
so you can feel connected and loved and protected that it would be better, you know? And so that's, you're right. This is a different take on the profit life. And I mean, it's a pretty, I mean, I appreciate it. <laughs> For sure. And then my last note about the song is around a minute and 50. Really nice harmonization. Um, I assume it was, the harmonization was probably all four guys in the band, though um, I would imagine Gene Eugene and Wayne Everett in particular, I think they have that slightly higher um, octave to blend that very nicely. Yeah, Wayne's great with background vocals. It's a good song, yeah. All right, so next up is When No One Calls, which you're not doing. So next time around, Sammy, you going to take it? All right, our first gold outtake. Oh, um, gold, so man. I know, we're, we're going back to gold here. So let's see. Vague lyrics about a girl, probably cheating on him. Check. Sad, sad reverb. Check. <laughs> Almost claustrophobic feeling. Check. If you like gold and want more, you'll love this song. <laughs> um, but hey, it's, a, it's a great it. gold yeah, outtake. It. That's absolutely right. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a gold outtake. I mean, it's just it. Like that album is so claustrophobic, anyways. If they just slipped the song somewhere, like maybe right before the mess trilogy or right after it, I probably wouldn't have even noticed. So yeah. Decent song. All right. That's all you got. All right. Um, I happen to love gold. I mean, not as much as Fensome. I don't think it's in the top five Starfire albums. It's a great album. I mean, it's grown on me. Don't get me wrong. It has yeah. significantly grown on me. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people in Starfire, the Sat Reverb Union, they really love gold. Like the, It's like the best, and I can't go there with it. But it's really great. This is a four-star song. I mean, and I... And I thought, too, what would this fit on gold? And I couldn't think anywhere. It doesn't fit anywhere. Um, I feel like this song is a perfect bridge between gold and Americana, though. So um, if it had been on the, um, was it Le Vancour? Yeah. Um, um, yeah, it was Le Vancour. Yeah, the the EP, that, that would have been great. But it wouldn't fit on gold. And this is a fast-paced LN song. I don't know if people out there are familiar with LN on Velvet Beam Music. If you haven't listened to Gary Murray's band, LN do it it's the saddest beautiful music um but and the joke is is that this is fast paced because his songs are super slow core like hardly any drums mostly um the slow wailing guitars are so intoxicating coping the world when she's got me down oh man it's like you're right another sad broke up breakup song but that line is so amazing like so the heartbreak it, it you have to deal with the heartbreak, but now how do, how do I relate to the world now that this heartbreak has happened? It's wounded me, and now I have to still be a friend, father, brother, friend, whatever, while I'm in this state. That's that's a great lyric, especially at this point. I mean, if this was a gold outtake, <laughs> lyrically at this point, this is light years ahead of where he was at that point. So that's really interesting. Um and then this song has a special meaning to me because 2000 when this came out, I got stationed in Germany um, and I met my first um, 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 wife there at the time. We had we had met and we went on a date 
and whatever and so I had to go away for a week because of the military and I came back and I found out she was hanging out with some other guy and so this and the next song we'll talk about <laughs> it really hit me I was like oh my god and then we end up working it out and get and we're married for 10 years but yeah so this song has a special place in that heartbreak to me the slow build to the outro um that slow burning set ending um next time around when he repeats that did the you know that whole outro oh, i love it it's it's shoegaze sad reverb goodness and i love it still get brings tears to my eyes a little bit when i think about it and that's how i feel about this song well well go ahead and tell us about the next oldie but goldie um goodbyes are sad <laughs> oldie but goldie oh i love puns you're so punny yeah um I goodbyes are said. Um, I feel like if um, when you feel the mess um, right after that, this would affect nicely up there. I don't know. Um, it's a pseudo happy because I mean, although it's a sad goodbyes are sad, it doesn't feel that sad and depressy like the rest of the songs on um, gold, like all the, the mess trilogy. So I think having this in there would have like lightened it a little bit. Um, and I think uh, this could have replaced Indiana, maybe, and been okay. Yes. Oh, my God, Sam. Yes. Oh, my God. Yes. I didn't think about that. If they took Indiana and put that as a B-side on uh, or whatever on LeVancourt, and this was on gold, oh, my God, you fix gold for me. That's what I'm going to do now on my playlist. That's what I'm going to do. Wow. Thanks, Sam. Anyway, so it's a three-star song. Um, th- um, three and a half. Um, another slow song. Love the steady um, drums and the vinyl light scratches throughout the song. It makes it feel warm. Um, and that's sad. It's a good song. Nothing too memorable like I was 17. But it's always a good listen. It's something, I mean, it doesn't, I don't know what it is about this song. There's not anything really that stands out, but it grabs me every time. And so, you got anything else to say about this song, Sam? To me, this song um, has some, it ha- holds all the same characteristics as Next Time Around. But it also feels strangely numb, which I appreciate because gold is all about, you know, going through the worst, darkest times in your life, right? That's the epitome. This album is the epitome of that feeling. And there comes a point whenever you're going through crap. When you just feel numb, you're like, I don't care about anything anymore. Nothing can hurt or make me feel good. I just, blah, nothing. And um, this, I feel like this song encapsulates that feeling really well. And that's why I think that it would be great after the feel the mess. And so when you say you don't feel anything, you mean about that relationship or whatever happened, like get to the point where you're like, you know, this, this, this relationship caused me so much pain. And I'm to the point where it's done. Um, I realize it's only pain here. So you're numb to it and now you're moving on. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Um, well, even before before the moving on part, um, maybe it's just me personally. I get to a point um, in situations where I I go through all the dramatic stuff, you know, frustrated, mad, punching, yada, yada. And then I get exhausted from all that and I'm tired. And then right at the end of the tired phase, I'm just getting numb. And I'm just like, I stop caring about that situation. I stop caring about anything. 
really. Yeah, and I'm like that. After I think most people a minute like that. of yeah. getting over that, stop caring, then I'm like, okay, I'm ready to move on. Moving on with life now. I got you. Yeah, I'm like that. I think most people are like that because you need that period where you're just like, okay, and then that numbness, you can like reflect and get perspective and realize what your next steps are. So yeah, and that's why again, that's why I think this song would have been perfect after the, the trilogy of mess, but whatever. <laughs> yeah. No, for sure. Um, it also, I feel like the song is strangely timeless. Um, any air where we start having reverb. So guitar pedals started becoming super prominent in the 70s. I would venture to say any time from about 77 forward, you could throw this song in there and it, would, it wouldn't, no one would realize that it was made at any particular time period. It just has a very... Um, timeless feel to it. That's a good point. I agree. So, um, that's goodbyes or sad, man. What do we have next? We have She Was My Sweetheart, your favorite, but we can't talk about it, so keep it keep it in your pants, Sammy. Next up is Everyone But Me Demo. Go ahead, take it. Um, not much to say about this, honestly. It's, um, it's produced by Mike Knotts of um, Blonde Vinyl. So... I don't know if there was a version of Gold or at least a few tracks that were originally produced by uh, Mike Knotts, who produced or at least ran the record label that Dance House Children was on. Um, Really, it's just it's a slightly less polished version um, with the less polish and much shorter. I, I do notice the the Beach Boy vocals are much more prominent in there and stand out a bit more. But other words, the song doesn't feel too different just shorter and less um less guitar in there really all right um yeah that's interesting i wonder if maybe mike not did it because gene gene eugene was busy or maybe he was sick that day because you know this is getting towards the end of his um end of his life unfortunately so who knows um but the original version of this song clearly is way better than um, this version. Um, but I will briefly say, um, let's see here. Three stars on this version. Um, that 40, that at the 40 sec, 48 second um, minute um, mark, that's when the background Beach Boy vocals you talked about came in. Um, I don't like how the song was shortened, but this is a demo. It makes it clear that Jason knew that the outro was the essence of this song, so he beefed it up on be built up the beginning of the song and then made the outro way longer because he knew that was the better way to go. So, yeah, it's pretty much all I gotta say about that song. I mean, I listened to it. I'm not gonna skip it, but if you if I'm gonna choose the original version of the or this, um, I'm choosing the original. But I'm glad it's here because it's good. I mean, anything Jason records, I I just want to hear. So next up, we yeah. have. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I mean, before you go on, I would say, um, I would love to hear some like original silver demos. Bob Moon mentioned those original demos he recorded like a baby monitor. I want to hear those <laughs> somewhere. Me too. Or the outtakes, or of um, everybody makes mistakes with the well, the way Wayne described how they raked up the drums and all that stuff. I mean, any outtakes. I mean, like you two did something called the Ox Tongue Baby outtakes, which was like a bootleg. But that that the they leaked, and it had like all the outtakes of them recording the Octune Baby um, album, 
And it's, um, I mean, there's some amazingness. I mean, some of it's like, ah, I can see this is why they didn't go that way. But it's some, there's some gems in there. Just, and you see how like later songs in their catalog and in, on that album, how they came to be. And it's just really interesting. If there's something like that out there, I would love to hear it. Well, indeed. So let's go ahead um, and talk about, we, we talked about before when we recently did our, re-review of silver there was the second space song aaron i found the first space song and it's called wherever you go <laughs> all right um you go sam actually i'll go i'll go um so this is a four-star song to me um instrumental jason let's do more instrumentals please how about an instrumental album and then how about an instrumental jazz album too um I don't think this would have fit on gold anywhere <laughs> at all. This would have been so weird at any point on gold. It would have, oh my God, that was just so weird. I, this sounds like something that should have been on Everybody Makes Mistakes or Dial M. So this song shows how Fort thinking Jason was um, because these sounds that he, he was on, on gold, the second album didn't come, he didn't really flesh out until much later. Um, are you sure this was a gold outtake? I don't know that's what it says. Hmm. Weird. I just didn't realize this was a gold outtake. Aaron, you muted yourself, buddy. Yeah, yeah, it said gold. It's in the linear notes. I'm looking at it right now. It says gold outtake. Huh. What do you know? Okay, continue. My apologies. And yeah, and then it says Jason Martin guitars, and then it has players question mark. Maybe this was a Pony Express song, but whoever's playing on this song, um, the bass is the bass guitar is the star of this song. Um, the bass and the oh, I just love it. It's audio crack, man. I can listen to this song on repeat. Um, it's the little brother of the traffic jam, although it was written way before that, so maybe it's the grandfather to traffic jam. <laughs> I love this song. What you gotta say, Sam? So my theory on this song, because I have no idea what it has to do with the second Space song, um, which was a track I found mildly interesting, probably more so because of the lyrics on Silver. It has nothing to do with each other. It has, <laughs> they have nothing to do with each other. <laughs> well, here's my theory. I don't know enough guitar to confirm this, so if the, we have any guitar players listening, maybe you know, leave us a chat letting us know. My theory is that this is a more poppy, polished version of the second Space song. So um, maybe similar guitar lines and bass, um, and then just kind of space it out and make it more of an instrumental. That's my theory. Um, in other words, it's, it's a decent instrumental, um, serviceable, but nothing too horribly special to me, sadly. Um, I feel like if you're – my favorite instrumentals are the ones that are super thematic, like Traffic Jam is a super thematic instrumental or the ones that are just bonkers, like Monkey Heart, which I love that instrumental. Um, this one, though, is just... Oh, so good. <laughs> right? This one is just, eh. It doesn't... It, it's not conceptual enough to hold my interest, and it's not bonkers enough to be interesting. It's just okay. Isn't it weird that it's a gold, gold outtake, though? It is. I thought for sure this was Everybody Makes Mistakes. I know, right? Exactly, right? <laughs> But to me, the song thematically, it's like 
I don't know if you've ever been to New York City, but it sounds busy. Like I when I, I'm with you when I first heard the song, nothing. And then when the first time I visited New York City, I remember thinking, this reminds me of <laughs> wherever you go. That's the busyness of the, the the honking horns, just lights everywhere. To me, that's what I get walking around New York at night. So anywho. Um, next up is Shedding the Mortal Coil, which is um, was on originally intended for Everybody Makes Mistakes, which is weird. Um, but it was on When Worlds Collide, which is a tribute to the Daniel Amos band, Terry Taylor's brainchild, which, who Jason really loves. Um, who Me or you going, going first, Sam? I'll go. So um, I'm, a, I'm a mild Daniel Amos fan. Aaron, I think someday, if we ever finish all of Starfire 59, and we somehow finish all of Ronnie's projects, we may move on to Daniel Amos. Um, I and think you will fall in love. And you will fall in love. I mean, I... They're so, amazing. Okay, I'm going to go off on a side note here. I listened to Horrendous Disc the other day again, because that's the disc I'm most familiar with. It's a near-perfect album. I love Horrendous Disc. Beyond Are you kidding me? Okay. Well, if you think a horrendous disc is perfect, that's not even... Oh, my God. After that... <laughs> Your mind's gonna be blown. Cause I mean, I've listened to their other stuff. Okay. I've listened to Alarma and um, Dark all Four that. Big Bite. Yeah, I've listened to all okay. that. Um, I just maybe it's because I like the Beatles is why I like Dark Four uh, Big Bite because it's a very Beatles record. But that's beyond the point. It is coming back. Okay, to this. <laughs> I'm gonna stop. I could go on forever about Dark Four Big Bite. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> okay, we maybe someday, like five years down the line, Aaron, we'll get there. So, um, Shredding the Mortal Coil. Of course, if Jason's going to cover a DA song, he is going to cho choose one with as few lyrics as possible. Um. <laughs> <laughs> this is the spirit about uh, of Daniel Lab Yeah, you're right. I think that's seriously why he chose this one, because he Jason is not a dense lyric guy. He keeps his lyrics very sparse most of the time. And whereas... Terry Scott Taylor, on the other hand, is a very dense lyricist who loves pitting paragraphs in his songs. In um, this song, he's like, well, this has the least amount of lyrics in it. It's a, it's a serviceable cover. Um, it doesn't shake up the formula too much. It barely even registers as Starfire 59, honestly. Um, it's, he, he seemed to have dug through all of DA's discography and just found that perfect song that um, fed into the new wave thing he was doing during Everybody Makes Mistakes anyways. So, serviceable cover, um, fun, and it gives us a chance to talk about DA for a second, who I love. All right, well, um, first of all, um, I think, yeah, maybe the lyrical thing, um, you're right, because you mentioned Darfur, Big Bite, like, Unattainable Earth, Strange Animals, those... I was a pastor. Those are like the like I call that album theology rock. Like the concepts and the lyrics on that, like you should get college credit for him. Like I don't know what Terry was doing that period, but the dude was like, what like John Calvin. <laughs> like, there are a lot. This is like, wow. Like I would have to cross reference stuff. But anyway, and um, I think also Shedding Mortal Coil, just beyond the lyrical, the content too is very Starfire. 
It's about being done with life and dying and being done with it. And that is so Jason, right? I mean, that's what he writes about. Um, and I'm finding it interesting. Which, uh, go ahead. It's worth noting that I wish there are more covers like this. I hate it when artists cover an artist and either um, make it just sound like a knockoff their version, knockoff version of that song, or don't do anything interesting with it. And while nothing interesting was done, at least he chose a song that suited him from that artist. Which I, I wish more cover artists would do. Yeah, and I, I like it both too. I, I like it when it sounds pretty close, and I like it when they go really crazy, like Tori Amos's cover of Bonnie and Clyde '97 by Eminem. Oh my gosh, that, or Raining in Blood by Tori Amos. Like they sound not like the originals, but anyway. I got Tori Amos on there somehow. All right, sorry. But um, but yeah, so I found it really interesting that this was recorded with the intention of it being on Everybody Makes Mistakes. Like, what? <laughs> Why? Where would it go? Um, but yeah, this is a song, um, song about our morality. Like, like I mentioned, that Jason's always um, singing about. He's a huge fan of DA. He interviewed Terry Taylor before um, on an album I have. Um, and, and like you said, it's pretty close to the original. Um, nothing really terrible or great about it. Three stars, you know. That's it. All right, let's go to the last B side here. Prepare to detour. Before that, though, we have to skip Samson. Samson. No, that's next. Yes, which was we're not going to agree. A, a great track off of Fell in Love at Twenty Two, but. Yeah, that was originally intended for Americana, but um, prepare to detour. You want to go or you want me to go? Um, I can go. Though okay. I will say it's interesting that the two B-sides from Americana are Samson and Elijah the Prophet. He was apparently in the Old Testament people at that point in his life. You're right. I didn't even think about that. And then the, there's Lamech. Like and, then the Lamech and, and then Lamech and um, the fashion focus, Dazel Lamech. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> I don't, how did I not make that connection? <laughs> All right, go ahead, Sam. All right. Um, another instrumental. Methuselah, too. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, you're right. Like, apparently he just was really into Old Testament people at the moment in his life. Obscure ones, too. Like, even Elijah, he's like one of the more obscure prophets. And who knows who freaking Lamech is? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, big Bible nerds like me, but you're right. The average person, no. <laughs> oh, um, prepare to detour. Another instrumental. Interestingly enough, I get the DA vibe. So this is another song I would have before we talk to Wayne Everett. I would have said, hey, there's that kind of um, Danny Elfman thing again. But now that I've listened to some... Daniel Amos in recent history, because I listened to their Alarm album the other day as well. And then kind of listening to this, yeah, I'm getting some DA elements from this, um, along with Fashion Focus. This sounds like it would be a Fashion Focus outtake, I would assume. So as far as instrumentals go, it has that kind of fun um, Daniel Amos Fashion Focus sound, but it doesn't stand out enough to me to make me want to come back to it per se. It's just, it's an okay outtake. And I feel like I'm saying that about a lot of these. I, these songs are great. Like if these songs were actually on actual albums, I would probably like them a lot more just as a random loose collection. 
it's a bit hard to appreciate them outside of their original context. That is all I have to say, Aaron. And I agree with that too. Yeah. Like, and so although we're in the age of streaming, like um, having album songs in a, like I mentioned before, you know, when we talk about leave here a stranger, certain animal, certain albums, the songs, the order and where they are influenced to how good they are. And like leave here a stranger, like, some of the songs individually, if you just pull them out, like, eh, but in the context of the album, they're amazing. And so some of these songs, I, and I'm with you, like if this song maybe would have been on an album, it, how I feel about it might have been elevated. But yes, yeah, a loose collection of songs through different periods with no theme. And because, you know, as people, we like stories. That's why we love movies. We love books. We love um, TV shows. We love stories. And so even with the music, when you have an album, that's like a story. Whereas when you have a compilation, it's not really, it's like little ideas. So it's hard to really become emotionally attached to them when it's like this. So, so I'm with you, but this is what we got. So um, prepare to detour. I get this three and a half stars too. Um, this is originally ended, um, supposed to be on everybody makes mistakes. Um, and it did get up there on the seven inch, <laughs> the, the bonus seven inch. If you took the jazz outro off, the everybody makes mistakes and after the party you put this um prepared a detour as the closer i think that would have been great or if it was the open listen to me how about if prepared a detour was the opener and then play the c chord follow that how do you think that how, what do you think about that i think that would have worked out fine um i feel like prepare to detour can serve as an interesting transition between fashion focus and everybody makes mistakes so i don't know how thematically um he was thinking about album to album but as kind of a transition from the last album to this one it would have worked really cool as well or i would have liked it as the and end I'm, either or yeah yeah and, and like i think of it so prince has an album called the lotus flower and there's like this weird intro um instrumental before the album starts and in my mind, I think having that weird intro because you'd be like, uh, what's going on? And then play the C chord comes right in after that. I think that would have been like mine, but I'm like, God, I'm gonna change so many playlists tonight. I'm gonna put that up there and see how it works too. That's, um, um, but anyway, so um, what's great about the song is that it has a, a driving beat. You know, it's not, it doesn't meander. There's sizz, um, sizzling guitars with, with amazing tones. The song can be listened to. I, I mean, I could listen to the song at nauseum without it getting old. And again, like I said, I gave it three and a half stars because it's just like this random idea of a song. It's not in a context of anything, but just the sounds in it doesn't get old to me. I like I can listen to it over and over again. But at the same time, it's, I'm not going to pick this. Like if I had to listen to like no new the kind of story or this recline, I'm going to pick those. But although I can listen to this recline on repeat. I, because the lyrics are too much for me. I could listen to this song on repeat. So there's that too. Um, I think that's all I got to say. I have nothing else to add to this song. Um, so that you got anything else, Sam? Nope. I think that's really it for the B sides. And then we get to move into the live section, which I think I'm really glad, especially if I would have been paying attention, you know, little um, nine year old me would have been paying attention in 2000. Um, <laughs> I really appreciate them putting a live, you know, essentially a concert on here because 
the only live experience we had on disc up to this point was plugged, which very few people got to listen to. This was probably most people's introduction to Starfire 59 Live. And, it was uh, for me because it's at, at the time the plug the the, the there wasn't a vinyl, there's like a CD version plugged. It was like a ridiculous, like 80 bucks. It was like, what? I'm never gonna get that. <laughs> yeah. So um we we get to start off with Two driving songs, which I find funny. I drive a lot, followed by Traffic Jam. So I just wanted to point that out that it's two driving songs. I've never done the concert. I didn't, think, I didn't <laughs> think about that. <laughs> That's hilarious. Go ahead, Sam. All right. So I drive, drive a lot. Um, it feels like the original song, but on caffeine. Like, I don't know if they were just at a point where the band was really meshing or what, but they sound like they're all hyped up and just happy to be playing together, which makes me happy because. Um, I drive a lot's kind of a sad song, and they make it now sound not quite so sad in this version. <laughs> so yeah, fun intro. Well, okay. Well, I'm just gonna since you don't have the linear notes, the live band. If anybody's interested, you want to know, Sam? You want to know who played? On I it? assume it was the the three of oh. them. Who? Um, it was Everett and Cloud. Close. It was Jason Martin on drum, um, guitars and vocals, um, Jeff Cloud on bass. And Sam King on drums. Weird. Nah. <laughs> Nine-year-old you weren't on him. It was Joey Esquibo okay. on drums. Oh. And then, and, and then Bob Moon mixed this because he mixes everything. So, so had Wayne already left by this point? I guess so, 2000, because then Joey took over the drums for the next album. LDP or Stranger. Possibly the best. Interesting. Okay. Yep. So I drive a lot um, live. Love the grittiness of the song, of the live performance. You're right. It's it's this song on caffeine. Jason's vocals sound really great. I've heard some live performances where we'll say the vocals don't sound so great. I'll leave it that way. Um, and if you want to know what I feel about the song, refer to the Fashion Focus review, and you will hear me nerd out over how amazing it is. I'm sure I gave it five stars. Um, I will add, though, the drums in a live context. Sound amazing. Joey crushed the drums on this performance. I will agree. I also find it interesting that in the two live settings we have got plugged and this little live section at the end of Easy Come, Easy Go, we essentially have two versions of Starfire 59 because I think plugged had Wayne Everett and um, the guy who played on Americana, didn't it? Or... No, I think it was Jeff, no. wasn't it? Was that Jeff on there? Or was it um, um, um the original bass player? What's his name? I can't think of his Eric name now. Andrew Larson. Was it Andrew Larson, maybe unplugged? Oh, let me grab my copy of Plugged. Let me see who's, who's up here. Um no, that it's, was Eric. During it's the... Eric, it's Eric Campanzo from the prayer Camp Pozano from the prayer okay. chain. I will always so we kill have his name. Essentially two iterations of the band playing here, which is just kind of cool. So we move from that into Traffic Jam, which this version, um, I'll let you go ahead. And I know this is one of your favorite tracks ever. So just tell me a little about what you think of this live version. All right. This is one of my favorite tracks ever. So go back to the Fell in Love at 22 review and hear me also geek out on this song. Um, when I first saw this on the track list, when I bought this physical copy, I can't remember where I got it. I was in Germany, so probably some... 
APHIS Army Store on base, um, which is interesting. Then they got Starfire albums over there. Good job, Tooth and Nail. Um, I remember thinking, please let them do the full <laughs> 14 minute version. This is gonna be amazing, but they didn't. <sighs> Stay lovey. I saw one comment on the YouTube that said they should have just played the 14 minute version and then been like, thanks for coming to our show, guys. Bye. <laughs> I would have personally been pissed, but I still would love to hear the live 14-minute version of this. Um, it's But this version here, all that short, it sounds fuller and heavier, thicker. I'm glad to have this um, have this version. Um, I'll listen to it forever, um, but I still prefer the studio version. Hopefully one day we'll hear a 14-minute live version of this. That's all I got to say about this. Okay, so... What we're asking for now, um, Jason Martin, buddy, if you ever hear this, um, just next time there's a festival, next summer, I don't care where it's at, show up at the festival, um, play Traffic Jam, the full 14-minute version, and then leave. And there you go. That's that's all we need you to do. If you do that, though, prior to that, somehow find recordings of outtakes of throughout this your career or whatever if you want to do it by album and just have outtakes unfinished songs and release those too we would love to have those and so okay. up next we have play the c chord live what do you think sam so i actually didn't get to talk about traffic jam but it's all right it's just a stripped down version i like it it sounds like a little intro i kind of wish it would have traded places with the i drive a lot honestly but other than that um it's a decent really why really why why you wish they switched because it it sounds like an intro like um a lot of bands now granted they most bands will usually do just a pre-recorded version but i love it when bands take like i don't want to say b-sides but instrumental tracks or lesser known tracks and then use them as intros for their concerts um i've seen david crowder band do it some I've seen, um, I'm trying to think what other bands I've seen do. I've seen Under Oath do it. It's just, a, it's a cool little thing when I see bands do it. It makes me happy. But as a second you track, do, it's okay. Depending, you, you, too, you too does that too, uh, depending on the tour. that They do that too. I see what you're saying. That, okay, that makes sense. All right. Sorry but, for jumping the gun. Oh, you're fine. But play Go the ahead. C chord. Um, the, the live version sounds like it has a bit more of a kick. Um, I, you're right. He's, he's, killing those drums so i don't know it just uh it's just a fun kind of more caffeinated kicky thick version of play the c chord makes it a fun track um as far as flow in the concert it also i like how well it's flowing um thus far in the this concert we've gotten the intro track from fashion focus a b-side from fashion focus that was on the fell in love 22 album ep and then I'm assuming this was the Fashion Focus tour. Wait, no, no. This would have been Everybody Makes Mistakes tour. So yep. then we have a new track, which is an interesting way to go because most artists would open with whatever their newest tracks were first. So I don't know. It has a nice or flow something. to it. Yeah. I hear you. Uh, for me, a play to see court live is more punchy and energetic, like you said. Jason's vocals sound coy, kind of like his brother Ronnie's his little breathy voice. They sound more breathy here. And although I love play a C chord and I love it a lot, I prefer this version to the studio version. 
the cool effects on Jenkinson vocals on a studio um, version are cool and everything, but the band is so tight on this song. They're just crushing it. I mean, it just sounds so perfect. So yeah, I, li I like this version better than the studio version. Um, that's about all I have to say about that. I listened to this a lot this week, <laughs> this song, the live version. Next up is Help Me When You're Gone. I'll go ahead and lead this in. Um, and you're right, it is a good flow. And then after Play the C chord, I think this is a great follow-up to Play the C chord. Americana. Um, this live version is so serene. It's it, it's calming. It ref and when I listen to this version of the song, it really calms me and focuses me. No matter what I listen to, what I'm going on, I just focus on like the music, and it just helps me process whatever I'm doing. Um. I think of my mom who is still living, but when she passes, I know the song will be one that reminds me of her and it's going to suck. Um, but um, this live version feels more earnest and immediate to me. And so when I listen to the song, although it focuses me too, like help me when you're gone. I know my mom, it reminds me that one day she's going to be gone. And right now it's a good song, but when she passes, I know this song is going to take on a whole new meaning. It might possibly become my favorite Starfire song. And this live version is just as good as the studio version. And that's all I got to say about this. I find it interesting that they take Americana, one of the more rocky, fast-paced albums, and probably choose one of the more, one of the more mellow, if not the most mellow song off that album. And throw some of the that best songs this. on there kind of all the slow ones. <laughs> the slow ones on some of the best ones. That's why. But I think it's I think it's really cool. Like it helps it blend more. Like um, you talked earlier about how Jason really knows how to order an album to make it flow well. And I feel like they're making this live track flow perfect because if they would have followed, you know, um, play the C chord up with um, the Voyager, I don't oh, think like would <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't have gone. Like I love those tracks, but they wouldn't have flowed near as well. So choosing this as your Americana pick is a great follow-up, especially when that more mellow sound to kind of slow us down after the caffeine kicks of the past three songs. Agreed. Okay. Um, any other thoughts on Help Me When You're Gone? Nope. Next, I'm going right. to talk about card games and old friends. Oh, yeah. So um, this was a great track off of Fashion Focus to begin with. And it just keeps that flow going. You know, follow your really mellow song with another upbeat one, which, wow, this sounds about twice as fast as the studio version, I think. Um, and it, it is, it's going great energy, and then it suddenly stops. And I was so confused the first time I listened to it until I hear someone shout, Sorry, the snare's not working. And they just, like, stopped the concert. And I love that they recorded this. It makes it feel so genuine. Um, one of my least favorite things about live recordings is when they just sound like studio recordings. I want a live recording to have some mistakes in there. I want to hear some vocal inflections you wouldn't normally use. I want to hear some different instruments. I want to hear some mess-ups because you guys are human and you're actually playing real instruments and not just backing tracks. And I feel like this just adds to that feeling so much. So I love this track, um, complete with its mess ups and awkward pauses. It's just, it's awesome. I agree with you about all that. And the there's an 
not to talk about you two so much, but there's a song on Octoon Baby Acrobat at the beginning of the studio version. The drummer Larry Mullins Jr. He, he's drumming, and the drum set slips out of his hand. And you can hear it audibly, and it just makes this weird sound. And he scrambles and picks it up and keeps going. And they wanted to edit that out, but Brian Nino, the producer, was like, "No, no, leave that in." And it's like one of my favorite aspects on album because, yeah, even in a live recording, you're a person, and hearing those mistakes, I don't know, it's just something about that. I love it, and I'm glad that they left that in. Um, and speaking of dialogue, I wrote that down too. And so what I heard the song, it said someone yell, yell "Cloud." Uh, was it Jeff Cloud they were yelling at? I mean, so I don't know. That was that well, was just really. It may have been. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, he was there. I mean, he was on base. So who knows? Who, who was the was I was it Jeff Cloud coming up with like the weird accent? Saying you know they're gonna be back in a minute. They're back. Yeah, that's so. Yeah, I, I originally I thought it was gonna be. Yeah, that's who I think it is, and that's why somebody yells. I think somebody yells cloud because I think that's that's definitely cloud. Um, saying that. It's hilarious. I love it. I love it so much. Um, but back to the song. It's bombastic, like you said, fuller. Um, it has more of a, a more um, more energy than the the. Studio version, of course, because it's live. Um, all these songs make me want to make me wish I'd never makes me so mad I've never seen Starflare live. I need to. And again, Joey, Joey is killing it on the drums. Um, and yeah, that <laughs> that part with the they'll be back kills me every time. That's all. Um I guess I'm gonna shut my mouth and let you talk now. Shut your mouth, Aaron. Um but this, this, once again, I feel like I'm just kind of repeating myself now. Um, this one feels probably closest to its studio version. It's um, a bit fuller sounding, though. Um, I, in fact, it almost sounds like he has a second guitarist. I don't think he does, but it is there. maybe it's the bass, you know, um, mixing in really well or something, or maybe just an effects pedal he has. But I really feel like I'm hearing a second guitar on this. And, um, yeah, it's just a nice... Um, this track didn't really stand out to me when I listened to it on Fashion Focus, but here it, it works really nice and um, just kind of keeps the energy and the flow going. Okay. Um, not ha- hearing the ahs, uh, like in the studio version, really changed this song. Um, but the energy and the creative, the, the creativity that made the song, you can still feel it in the song in a lot of context, but I like... Um, I like this version, but I prefer the studio version because those background vocals, to me, that's what really, really makes this song shine, and they're not here. Um, but if I saw this live, I would have loved it. I would have been totally raging with it. So, uh, Next up is No New Kind of Story. Go for it, Aaron. Okay, here we go. Wow, just wow. Heaven has come to Earth to witness this song live would have been life-changing. I love the studio version. Um, I hope there's an instrumental version. I hope there's demo versions. I hope there's Spanish remix versions. I hope there's Joy Electric versions. I just want to hear all the versions of the song. Like, this is such an incredible song. I mean, it's... This song is like... (laughs) This song... um, it, it could do like I, I normally not a big fan of remixes. This song is just like so well crafted. It could work amazing as a remix. 
And you know what else it can work amazing as? Take almost any guitar line in the song, and you have the perfect um, sample for a hip-hop album or hip-hop song. You're Oh, my God, you're absolutely right. It's such a perfect song. I mean, like I said, this is like like my second favorite Starfire song. It's it's just amazing. I'm not gonna rant again, but the live version comes through and it's just as good. I I, I need to hear this song live at some point in my life. <laughs> what you got, Sam? I think I think I may like this live version more. Um, I love the sense, the new wave, but man, this this version like makes it sound almost indie. And I love indie music, and I don't know this. The, the song is so good, and when you hear just him on his guitar playing it, you realize what a well-crafted song it is. And I really Amen. love this version. <laughs> I'm so glad again with the flow. I mean, so now shut your mouth, and then we have no new kind of story, and then take it, Sam. What we got next? When you feel the mess, I find it interesting to finish it out with a gold track. Um, so when played against newer songs, you can feel how much more pop sensibility Jason has kind of gained throughout his years. But even the way he plays it here, this song feels more poppy. It's like he purposely took the gold track that he could most easily translate to a more pop setting. And it works pretty decent as a closing track. Um, I think this, you know, maybe like Days of Limic would have been like a better closing here or something. But just as is, and especially getting a good sample of all the different airs of the band and still making it feel so coherent, it's, um, it's a pretty good ending. Okay, well, um, I disagree. I think, do you ever feel that way? One Shot Juanita, um, you're mean, way more poppy songs than this. Um, but I feel what you're saying. Um, and again, going with the track listing that Jason does, I I loved that he closes with a gold album um, track because he knows his fan base. And I'm sure just like now, back then, his fans were probably clamoring for gold songs. So you end, you got to end with something that people like. That's why, you know, Prince ends with, you know, Purple Rain or, you know, whoever ends with their biggest song or whatever. That's what you do. Um, I love um, this. The, and you're right. He changes this song and it sounds kind of like a cowboy country <laughs> pop song. Um, the English is palpable and palpable in this performance. Uh um, Jason's pain feels more real in this version. I'm, I'm not saying he's in pain at, at the time of playing the song, but when he wrote the song, um, and it's the perfect closer for this compilation. You have the retrospective of you know um, the six albums. You have the outtakes, and now you have a live concert. And um, with everything, um, I think this is a great ending because Jason, one of his main inspirations for music is Terry Taylor, and he's famous for right as Terry Taylor say he make, he makes sad sweet music, and Jason does too. A lot of his music is sad, sweet, and beautiful. And the outro on this live version is amazing, and the outro on this the outro at the end of this is worth 
the price of the whole compilation. And like you mentioned at the beginning of this, you think is um you said you know with the 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 first disc with the three songs from each album and everything how, how that's great and it's a great representation. I'm saying with all that, if we just have this intro, whatever the price I paid for this, just having the intro from this out um from this live version of when you feel the mess, I'd have been fine with that. Everything else is just crazy. I love it so much. Yeah. I um I feel like you say this is lazy, and I think the disc A disc is a bit lazy. The D disc though is worth the price of admission. Heck, if they would have just released the the live concert, it would have been worth the price of admission. Um, but along with the B sides, um, I think it's totally worth it. And then I think in the air of CDs, you'd have to have it. Um, saddled with some of the normal studio versions in order to maybe draw in those greatest hits people. Um, that... Well, not only that, it's just like it, if you're trying to, as tooth and nail, you're trying to sell records and you're trying to create more, you know, more fans of the music. If you just release the 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 B side disc, I mean, a casual Starfire fan, they probably maybe by some stroke of luck or whatever, they might become fans. But they're probably not. That's for the fans. You got to get something for the casual listener, too. And so although it's lazy, I mean, and I wish they would pick different songs, but I still think that that's a good representation of the band at the time. So I'm OK with it, because if a casual listener, I, I believe if anyone got that first disc and listen to they become a Starfire fan. I don't know how you could not. Yeah, I am. I feel like up to this point, Starfire 59 is still a niche band. Um, they definitely, with fashion focus and everybody makes mistakes, had much more pop sensibility. Um, and I think um, no new kind of story could have and should have been their big pop hit. That and maybe everybody um, fell in love at 22. Those tracks should have been what They're propelled this me. band into like, yeah, like Kiss Me. That's what they <laughs> like, especially no new kind of story. I could see that being like it's such a pop song. A, you could play that in anything. That could be in any movie. That could be in any. Could be in commercials. Yeah. Especially that guitar line. The dun 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 dun. Yeah, that just. Um, it's a shame. I don't know if Tooth and Nail never promoted them like they should. I don't know if maybe his vocals were just um, not didn't have a big enough range for people. And I don't know if maybe, you know, they got slapped with that shoegazer with the uh, dual package, which back in the 90s and early 2000s, what you labeled a band or an artist as made a much bigger difference than it does now. And um, Starfire 59 had the dual labeling of Christian band and shoegazer, two very niche markets, which true, wouldn't true. easily cross over. True. So I think that those labelings hurt the crossover potential. What I'm going to do though, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to send no new kind of story to Pharrell, Migos, Snoop Dogg, and every rapper that's around right now, Lil Uzi Vert, and say, look, use these guitar these guitar lines for your next hit. Put my man Jason up some royalties. <laughs> Dude, send it to Little Nas X. <laughs> or Drake, I guess. Drake. Oh, God. I mean, I mean, he could pit. I don't know. I'm, God, I'm not even a Drake, Drake fan. I just know he can pit out whatever he feels like, and it will get, be a big hit. 
I, yeah, I just want Jason to get the recognition he needs. And if it has to be with Drake, then fine. I'm okay with so, this. So be it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, it's yeah, been an interesting ride. ride. That, yes, it has been. That has been a traffic jam. <laughs> I feel like this is a good summation of even this podcast up to this point. Yeah, um, I think We've so been too. at this over a year now, and it's like... This is a good reflection point to, you know, how you to see how, how you feel. I feel like uh, it's going pretty good. And I would definitely like to get a bigger listener base. But I think with Starfire 59 being such the niche band they are, um, and then um, maybe some of our early episodes with its little bit rough production scared some people away, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, everybody but, makes mistakes, though. Hey, everybody makes mistakes. Um, and, who knows? Maybe I feel like the level of production in the albums going forward takes a huge leap forward. Um, Gene Eugene was awesome for that indie new way feel, but I feel like the production really takes a leap forward moving up through these next few albums until it gets just straight up modern alternative production by the time you get to like I Am a CEO, maybe. Well, and then the, and then the era with Swift, with Swift and Lens, uh, and that's just another level too. And yeah, so yeah, it, it's about to get. Ban- I mean, it's been getting bananas. Like the run, just look at. I mean, there's there's been silver, gold, Americana, and when I'm going to the EPs, although those are amazing too. Fashion focus. Everybody makes mistakes. Where I go to leave here, a stranger. It's like this is an insane run. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, compare this run to. Um, I don't know. For one, I think Jason Martin's a he's a he's a working artist, which I just find interesting. Like in the fact that he works an actual blue collar job, but also in the same amount of time, you know, he released six albums and four EPs and whatever else he was doing, and a compilation album. Uh, yeah, Weezer released two albums, right? <laughs> um, Smashing Pumpkins released three albums yeah that's about it like just you know he he is just such a work workaholic here it's yeah it's um, phenomenal so yeah wow yeah so and we got so much to come but yeah so i guess easy come easy go man all right well guys thank you so much for listening to us it's always a pleasure um feel free to maybe go into itunes or um podcast apple podcast and leave us a comment, leave us a rating. Um, maybe, you know, get the word out about this awesome band. And just We're be like, hey, on. guys, this this is the perfect time. We are getting ready to hit a wave of 90s nostalgia. We're already hitting it. Now is the time for this band to make a resurgence. And we're on um, we're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, um, at uh, Blue Collar Love Podcast. We also have a Patreon if you're feeling really generous. Want to donate, maybe help improve the quality of sound, whatever. Appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's one of those things, if we can get enough, maybe we can actually afford to get a computer, do some actual real editing on this. Um, that would be amazing. Be and then we can also get some money to um, maybe bribe Jason to come on. Yeah. We'll, just, um, we'll both fly out to California and just track him down and knock on his door. <laughs> be like, hey. Hey, buddy. Put a bag over his head and throw him in a van. I mean, I'll Take him down to that. Miami. 
Anyway, so. All right. Um, once again, my name is Samuel. And I'm Aaron. Thanks for listening. Bye bye. This has been a Brothers King Media production.